0: Um, the barrio assemblies and these like you know grassroots neighborhood organizations a lot of these were sponsored by the church what does it mean to say that the christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there um you're always uh being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects
1: welcome to the magnificast the podcast about christianity and leftist politics
0: i'm dean detloff and this week i'm your fratelli buddy and i'm uh, matt bernico this week i'm um... The lunch lady in your cafeteria serving up a big icy bowl of tootie right to you on your tray. <laughs> um, yours sounds grosser, but
1: uh, with our powers combined, <laughs> um, this is Fratelli Tuti Watch, Encyclical Watch, Pope News Watch 2020. Uh, it's a big deal on the Magnificast. We're talking about this new uh, papal document um, called Fratelli Tootie. I keep saying for Teletuti, it's not going to be the last time I've said it. I'm just going to warn you right now. It's a hard one to say too many times at once. Uh, but what it what uh, what's difficult in pronunciation is made up for in some very good content. Uh, it's got everything that you want out of a Pope Francis encyclical, all kinds of um, interesting engagement with uh, Catholic social teaching, but also pushing it in some more radical directions. And on this show, you know, there's all kinds of ways to, to talk about an encyclical, but at not being theologians, uh, we're going to talk about it in a, a socialist kind of way, um, trying to pull out some themes that I think are relevant to conversations on the left and Christian Marxist dialogue in the 21st century. So in that spirit, Matt, let me first of all get your hot take about this document. Um, you know, I'm excited about it because I'm a Catholic, because I, I got to respect uh, Big Papa himself. Um, as a non-Catholic reading this uh, document, um, what's your uh, takeaway?
0: Yeah, uh, so you're right. I'm not a Catholic, but I'm reading it anyways. I don't know. I, I bet. I bet I'm reading this. I bet i was excited to read this because of this podcast mostly. But um, <laughs> having done so, I think I. I think I uh, came to uh, appreciate it, and enjoy it, just as a regular person. <laughs> um, <laughs> my hot take is that there's some pretty good stuff in here. Uh, you know, in, in it, Pope Francis is, uh, you know, talking about sub- the subordination of property rights to the common good. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Talks a lot about the common good. Big fan of that. I love the common good. Um, as, as so many of us do. <laughs> Everyone's saying that these days that we all love the common good. Um, There's that. That's really cool. He calls out neoliberalism. He calls out sort of the. Uh, shallow response to the pandemic he's talking about ecology in this great way uh it's a lot of good stuff man um if you're a socialist and you um i don't know <laughs> are interested in the pope this is a good place to kind of start reading some of it i, I mean i again like i'm not catholic so i guess i don't really have a, a dog in this race uh that's a weird metaphor. Now I'm thinking about it and saying it out loud, but just the same. <laughs> if, you're a, if you're a Catholic and you are not a socialist, I don't know, man. I don't know what you're going to do after reading this one. Like, yeah. it just seems like you're going to have a hard time.
1: I agree. Um, I think uh, the hottest take that I can give about this, I'll say up front and we'll try to prove it later, is I I don't think that this document calls you to go out and join the nearest Communist Party for sure, but... I do think that it is probably impossible to be faithful to this document without being some kind of international socialist. And that is um, a big deal, I think. Uh, yeah, not a lot emphasis of this
0: is on the international part, too, right? Like everything in this is about breaking down borders and finding sort of like the, you know, being driven by the humanity of all people, regardless of nation. And I think that, uh, oh boy, it's good. It's good stuff.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, So much good stuff. Uh, So we'll get into all the good stuff in a minute, just to set this up a little bit. um, I don't know if you're a listener to the show, maybe you already know what an encyclical is, but maybe you don't. Um, Maybe you're just a a leftist. And boy, you got to figure out what what everybody's talking about (laughs) with this for telly on the internet. Um, So I'll give you a little brief uh, intro here. An encyclical is um, a big deal. It is official Catholic teaching from the Pope. Um, It's not like our catechism or something. Um, People are free to disagree with it, and it becomes kind of as important as the Catholic Church decides to make it. Uh, But depending on your view of Catholic authority as a Catholic yourself, um, if you're, uh, even a, a traditionalist, you actually have to give kind of a lot of weight to this sort of document. It's one of the, the sort of highest, um, levels of papal documents that there can be. Um, so it's a huge deal. Uh, the reason it's called an encyclical is that it's meant to be cycled around, uh, passed around the church. Um, in this case, it is also meant to be read by people of all goodwill, Pope Francis says. So it's addressed, uh, not only to Christians, and Pope Francis goes out of his way to try to connect with um, people of other faiths, especially Muslims and Jews in this document, but also people of no faith. Um, So all that to say it's an encyclical, which is to say it's a very important document, um, how important it will remain to be seen, but uh, good to note that up front. Um, I also want to note that there's a really interesting precedent for leftists being interested in papal encyclicals, believe it or not, uh, you know, it's it's maybe unsurprising that progressive Catholics might want to find ways to deal with this, um, but people on the left have uh, taken encyclicals and um, reacted to them in some kind of world historical ways. Uh, sometimes encyclicals spark entire social movements. So the Catholic worker in the United States, for example, uh, founded by Dorothy Day and Peter Moran and many others, was inspired by reading uh, Catholic social teaching and and labor encyclicals like Rerum Novarum. So there's that kind of piece of it. Lots of uh, Catholic trade unions that ended up becoming quite radical were founded on the premise of what had been said in certain encyclicals. The most uh, important one, though, or at least the one that's most interesting to me in this kind of conversation is one called Pacem and Terris or Peace on Earth, which came out in 1963, And it was written by Pope John the 23rd, a big deal, important guy in the Catholic Church. Um, And there's a great article that was republished in America magazine uh, in 2013. Um, The article itself was from 1963. So it was a 50 year kind of republication. So in it, uh, the article is just kind of rounding up like people's responses to Pacham and And there's all kinds of them, you can go read them all, but here's my favorite couple of paragraphs. No reactions won more attention than those in the communist press on both sides of the Iron Curtain. Moscow's Pravda professed to view Pachamantaris as an initiative in favor of peace. Radio Budapest spoke of a new wind blowing from the Vatican. A Warsaw Daily, which I will not pronounce, (laughs) linked the document with a papal plea for peace during the October 1962 crisis in Cuba and described it as very important. In Italy, communist boss Palmiro Togliatti claimed to see in the Pope's message something entirely new conveying the very essence of life itself and telling the world that all of us on Earth are part of past, present, and future history. Here in the United States, the worker, official communist semi-weekly, insisted that the new encyclical would make Western leaders change their way of thinking. Indeed, the Secretary of the American Communists, Gus Hall, intimated that party members themselves might have to change in another respect. Quote, there is a need, uh, there is need for all forces of progress to re-examine and perhaps readjust our overall estimate of the Roman Catholic Church as a social institution. Um, it goes on to also say that uh, uh and must be seen as far more than idle uh, or merely sentimental gesture toward peace. Whatever the motivation behind his remark, Premier Khrushchev spoke the truth when he remarked to an Italian journalist that the encyclical genuinely sought peace, which can and must be defended by men of goodwill of every philosophical and religious conviction. So. All that to say, um, communists have found it, I think, not just politically expedient to uh, pay attention to what's going on here, but actually, um, you know, important to pay attention to when an institution like the Catholic Church is moving in a progressive direction, right? Communists are interested in in progressive movements wherever they can be found. And if something as big as the Catholic Church is uh, encouraging that, they want to fan those flames. Um, and I think, you know, Terrace is a great encyclical. But boy, um, if Fratelli Tutti had been released in 1963, the world would be a very different place.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so, Um, man. Well, let's uh, let's join the ranks of those historic communists who have read encyclicals (laughs) from the Pope. And let's give our own hot takes to this document. Um, Okay, so let's just start from the beginning, I guess. And we can kind of work our way through it. There's a lot of themes that we can kind of pull out. And at the end, we'll get to some criticisms that we have about the document, because I don't know what kind of podcast would we be if we didn't have any criticisms? (laughs) Um, So the beginning starts out just by laying out the idea of fraternity or what it is that uh, Francis here is uh, is trying to get at. So it starts like this. I'll read it and then we can kind of talk through some of it, Mm -hmm. you know, like we do. (laughs) Fratelli Tutti. (laughs) It kind of starts off like a Hakuna Matata, but a little bit different. I love when Fratelli... Muhammad Kumba says that. I'm going to get that on, a, on an embroidered hat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Fratelli tutti, what a wonderful phrase. With these <laughs> words, Saint Francis of Assisi addressed his brothers and sisters and proposed to them a way of life marked by the flavor of the gospel. That's right. The f- flavor town of the gospel right here. Um of the counsels Francis offered, I would like to select one in which he calls for a love that transcends the barriers of geography and distance and declares blessed all those who love their brother as much when he is far away from him as when he is with him. In this simple and direct way, St. Francis expressed the essence of a fraternal openness that allows us to acknowledge, appreciate, and love each person regardless of physical proximity, regardless of where he or she was born or lives it's a strong start. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, this is this is a cool thing, I think, to write about. It definitely makes sense within like Francis like overarching life and like some of the other encyclicals he's written. Um, This one's, you know, uh, about the fraternity of all people. And um, he does it in a, you know, kind of following Francis of Assisi, uh, something that he Someone he references quite often in his others, uh, in the other encyclicals as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get uh, a good flavor for like what this whole thing is going to be about when he's talking about fraternity. It's not just like loving your brother, but it's about loving your border- brother without any borders or like recognizing that those uh, those things are, are barriers that need to be overcome when it comes to like loving other people. So a really profoundly uh, Christian call for a universal love, which... Um, like I said in a minute, we'll, we have some criticisms about that universality that we'll get to a little bit later. But the there you go. Dean, what do you think about this big uh, Hakuna Matata moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very interesting way to ground this. Um, you know, there's there's always problems with kinship metaphors. And I, I, I'm sensitive to that on the left. Um, it can be a bad thing to view everything as a big family. Uh, But um, what I think is so fascinating about how Pope Francis talks about this is uh, he really roots fraternity in um, a tradition of solidarity. That's maybe one word that you could like substitute for this in one way. Um, And also uh, probably one of the most wild things that I never expected to read in the papal encyclical. um, He directly borrows from the slogan of the French Revolution, uh, liberty, um, equality and fraternity. So, I mean, there's a real, uh, you know, <laughs> don't read fraternity necessarily. It would, it would be very tempting to read it as a, a reactionary retreat into like, you know, family metaphors. But I think it's uh, it's activating the concept of fraternity in a much more uh, progressive direction.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Well, yeah, he he's telling us that's the direction we need to go. Go towards practicing that that big fraternity across all borders, across all barriers and I'm here for it for sure. <laughs> um though though, like right after that, right after that big pronouncement, he kind of like um he starts getting into some some of the critiques that he'll end up coming to bear, you know, bring bring to bear on, on in the entirety of the encyclical. Um, and uh here, I'll kind of give you a, a little bit of a taste of them here. So uh fraternity is the goal, and um part of the problem though, he says, is that uh, we live in a throwaway culture, not just of uh, not just of food and objects, but of human beings themselves. So that's that's part of it, right? That uh, we need fraternity. We need to practice this type of uh, you know we, we have to have this Christian practice because we're so bad at it. <laughs> we're so bad at mm-hmm. thinking people are good in any way or worth worthy of love or or consideration. So yeah, uh, here's here's something he says in section twenty two. In today's world, many forms of injustice persist, fed by reductive anthropological visions and by a profit-based economic model that does not hesitate to exploit, discard or even kill human beings. While one part of humanity lives in opulence, another part sees its own dignity denied, scorned, or trampled upon, and its fundamental rights discarded or violated, what does this tell us about the equality of rights grounded in the innate human? Uh, what does this tell us about the equality of rights grounded in innate human dignity? I mean, it tells us that people don't really believe in human rights that much um, or human <laughs> dignity, right? This is like the, the feel um, we need fraternity. We need to practice this the sense of fraternity that he's laying out here because um, I mean, because the powerful are so ready to just throw away most of the people, uh, most people everywhere and exploit them and like, you know, not give a shit about them. So uh, I think I mean, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> to point this out as a problem is an easy one uh to label part of the problem as a profit-based economic model that doesn't hesitate to exploit people is one that uh supports the thesis that we're putting forth here that uh hard to read this uh and uh you know not think of uh socialist resolutions to these problems um but yeah i mean you get it right he's he's pulling out these big uh structural issues and, uh, and and suggesting the practice of fraternity uh, to, I mean, assuage some of them um, in, you know, the individual hearts of people, but also in the, um, you know, the large and uh, complicated economic solutions that uh, he'll end up talking about in a little bit. Um, so there's all that. But I think what really strikes me about this first part, uh, when he's talking about fraternity is, I think, some really like, I don't know some some stuff from the gospel that really weighs heavy <laughs> on your heart if you take it as seriously as Pope Francis wants you to. So, you know, talking about Fratelli Tutti, talking about fraternity um, is kind of like, I, I don't know, it could be construed as sort of high-minded or like a sort of philosophical project. But uh, really quickly, like in the very first part uh, of the encyclical, he turns to the Bible because... He's the Pope (laughs) and uh, he goes right, right to the Good Samaritan. So this is like a, you know, it's a Bible story that needs barely any sort of introduction because everyone knows about it. Whether or not you're a Christian, you've probably heard of that, right? There's a dude that gets attacked on the road and uh, people, robbers, they steal everything from him and they leave him for dead. And then, um, you know, uh, he just sits there waiting for people to help him. And uh, all the people that you think would help him, like uh, priests and so on, don't. And uh, instead, this really good Samaritan who would have been at odds with this Jewish person at the time uh, is the person that stops by and it actually does the does the work of mercy that they need so bad. So anyways, it's, you know, Pope Francis tells the story and then he like really kind of turns the screws on you as a person reading it. <laughs> and uh in in a good way in a constructive way i think uh pope francis says this which of these persons do you identify with you know do you are you the samaritan laying there waiting for help are you the person helping are you the the person turning your nose up at this uh this guy on on the street that's been attacked uh which one of them are you and uh that's a troubling question because you know the answer to it (laughs) um and it's probably not good anyways so the question uh Pope Francis goes on to say, blunt as it is, is a direct and incisive one. Which of these characters do you resemble? You need to acknowledge that we are constantly tempted to ignore others, especially the weak. Let us admit that for all the progress we have made, we are still illiterate when it comes to accompanying, caring for, and supporting the most frail and vulnerable members of our developed societies. We have become accustomed to looking the other way, passing by, and ignoring situations until they affect us directly. So this is kind of the direction he starts heading, right? Um. He wants us to practice fraternity in these situations where we are taught to do, you know, the very opposite. And uh, you could construe this as like a very individual uh, response to, um, you know, a very structural problems of the world. Right. Like the massive exploitation of people is a structural problem and not an individual one. Uh, But uh, as Francis kind of goes on to show you in the encyclical, these things are connected and, uh, you know, they uh, they share some common causes.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's really um, interesting, I think, because, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of connections to socialism already insofar as uh, Marxism in its most uh, classical form with Marx himself. And uh, and Engels is all about uh, emphasizing that working people don't have a country, that they're sort of um, uh, you that they, they don't have national boundaries that separate them. Um, as a class uh, but on the contrary they should be united in in action by virtue of being part of the same class Uh, what Pope Francis is doing is something similar but actually expanding that vision of unity uh, beyond class Um, Matt and I when we were putting this uh, this uh, outline together we're talking about how there's a lot of talk about something that you might say is like species being in Marxism Uh, But in Christian language here in the encyclical, which is to say uh, this idea that humanity really forms this kind of um, uh, big uh, organism, big species, big family, whatever you want to call it. Um, And there are Christian ways of inviting us to think about that in a radical way. And I think it's a great way to ground what is Uh, sometimes a a sort of meandering (laughs) encyclical Uh, but the theme uh, carries through i want to bring up one more bit about the individualism that you mentioned that uh this is in section 105 Uh, pope francis says individualism does not make us more free more equal or more fraternal the mere sum of individual interests is not capable of generating a better world for the whole human family nor can it save us from the many ills that are now increasingly globalized Radical individualism is a virus that is extremely difficult to eliminate for it is clever. It makes us believe that everything consists in giving free rein to our own ambitions, as if by pursuing ever greater ambitions and creating safety nets, we would somehow be serving the common good. Um, what I think is really fascinating, I guess, about this is uh, that Pope Francis is already sort of situating himself against economic systems that premise themselves on maximizing an individual's potential uh as an end in itself or kind of uh um maybe a better way of being of putting it would be uh sorting everything or, or setting everything on the individual as a category right which is what capitalism is all about um so again it's just the the fraternity bit is a, a grounding that already pushes us in a sort of socialist direction
0: mm-hmm. uh yeah i really appreciate too like the last sentence of that that um you know that that highlights how clever individualism is right that it, it makes it seem like uh it makes it seem like just by pursuing your own thing that you would somehow be serving the common good but mm-hmm. like there's nothing to that that's impossible
1: yeah i mean that's like the classic capitalist argument
0: yeah totally and it's actually nonsensical because like how i mean i don't know people say it all the time right that um that you just uh, an individual that is charitable is like, you know, the the way to make sort of social change and uplift people from poverty. But like, listen, that's what we have right now. And look around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not doing so much right now. huh? Um, yeah. So, uh, you, you know, we have this idea of fraternity that, that Francis is going to give us and try to kind of help us think through. And he thinks this is sort of like a big idea that Christians ought to recover and practice because there's a whole lot of spaces where we are, uh, we're not doing such a good job uh, paying attention to that sort of fraternal notion of humanity or even just like loving people, regardless of their, you know, uh, their place in the world, uh, geographic or otherwise. At one point, he even goes on to talk about solidarity a bit, which is pretty cool. Um, You know, he doesn't say anything groundbreaking about it, but, you know, he tells us that solidarity is is more than just, you know, thinking good feelings, but it's actually acting. Uh, with other people and on behalf of other people and, you know, in solidarity with other people. And that's mm-hmm. pretty cool, too. Oh, boy. Um, sorry. Sorry, weird libertarian Catholics. You're going to be out on this one. This, this sucks <laughs> You're in for trouble you. now. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm um, practicing fraternal love right now by, uh, by by just, you know, really wanting to brace those folks for the uh, <laughs> the loss that they're going to feel when they read. This. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah,
1: well, OK, so fraternity is the ground for what I said was a sort of meandering encyclical. And one way to really talk this through, especially as socialists, is to not do it chronologically, but pull out certain things that are thematic and see if we can build some links. So I think that's what we can do for the rest of the episode, uh, pull out a few themes. Um, I want to start with what I think is maybe the heaviest theme or the one that is the most wild and radical and deserves to be appreciated, which is a a couple of sections on property. Uh, There's a whole section on it, like a a broader section of several paragraphs on it in the encyclical, but um, just to pull out a couple, So Francis appeals to the early Catholic church teaching that is very suspicious of private property. So in the history of the Catholic church or of Christianity, generally, you get all kinds of very um, incendiary quotes that are critical of the wealthy for, for example, uh, having their own coat. Uh, If you have like more than one coat, then the one that is extra is actually stolen from the poor, right? This is a Um, a really radical line of early Christian economic thinking. It's one that people like Rosa Luxemburg and even Karl Kautsky and other kind of Marxists really key in on as like a radical core within Christianity. And Pope Francis brings all that to bear here, which I think is worth paying attention to. Uh, He finally sort of summarizes his own thoughts, saying in section 120 that the principle of the common use of created goods is the first principle of the whole ethical and social order. It is a natural and inherent right that takes priority over others. All other rights having to do with the goods necessary for the integral fulfillment of persons, including that of private property or any other type of property, should, in the words of St. Paul VI, in no way hinder this right but should actively facilitate its implementation. The right to private property can only be considered a secondary natural right, this is the wild part, derived from the principle of the universal destination of created goods. This has concrete consequences that ought to be reflected in the workings of society, yet it often happens that secondary rights displace primary and overriding rights in practice making them irrelevant. So here's what's wild about this. Uh, You might think uh, that's neat, like for sure uh, private property has to sort of come under the umbrella of uh, the common good or um, the universal destination of goods, and that's true, you'd be right. It's very cool that he says that. But uh, in terms of the history of Catholic social teaching on private property, this is really Francis leaning into what we might call the radical wing of it, or the the left or progressive wing of uh, Catholic thought on property. And by so displacing private property in this way, um, it really is a, a kind of, uh, I don't know what to say about it, like it's a, a gauntlet thrown, I guess, to uh, the right wing and conservative elements in the church. Um, but also to an entire economic system that is based on precisely the inverted relationship that he points out here, uh, the privileging of private property and its acquisition over and against uh, the common good. Right. You can't have capitalism without that very thing. Uh, anyway, we can talk more about that maybe as Marxists. But um, it, for my for my part, this is the the most radical piece, I think, of the encyclical.
0: Yeah, I think I think so, too. Um I mean, he says some of this in the C, but it's like formulated in a much more explicit way uh, in this encyclical. Um, I think that oh, I mean, OK, reading it as a Marxist, I think it could be more Marxist. <laughs> 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 um, but I think uh, as an encyclical, as a document of the Catholic Church written by, you know, the freaking Pope, it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, on, it's on its way for sure. Um, I mean. I think what's interesting, though, is the way this plays into the larger theme of fraternity, though, Um, you know, like you could uh, like, like Dean's kind of said a few times, this encyclical is kind of meandering it like, you know, it jumps from one thing to another quickly and kind of haphazardly sometimes. Um, But like, you know, you could just look at this as like a weird thing to kind of say uh, a weird like economic side point or whatever about property. (laughs) But uh, it is like, you know it is integrally tied to the idea of fraternity, right? To say that um, private property is subordinate to the common good is to say, like, well, no, you actually have to use private property for the good of all people first before anyone else might own it. Um, so, you know, there is like a uh, a profoundly Christian idea that's that's bound up in this uh, ec- like economic expression. I think that is pretty cool, uh, despite it not being as Marxist as I would like. Yeah.
1: I mean, um, to sort of lean into the Marxist side, though, uh, I mean, for sure, uh, Pope Francis is not a Marxist. And look, the Pope is not going to be a Marxist. Um just <laughs> doesn't make any sense. But uh, what is very important about it is this principle here that we get that all private property has to be uh, a secondary right to universal uh, goods is also, I think, another way of Sort of getting at like a Christian critique of not just capitalism's greed or, you know, wealthy people hoarding stuff, but it's a Christian way of attending to something like primitive accumulation in in Marxism, Mm -hmm. right? The story that Marx tells about capitalism is that it didn't just come out of nowhere. It had to be created. And how did that happen? It came from the, the seizure of what is commonly held. Um, and then turned into private property, which is encoded in law and all kinds of other uh, authoritative, violent um, sort of things that decide this property is now privately owned. Uh, We've talked about that a handful of times on the podcast. Uh, For people who don't know, the example might be something like in England, there were once these uh, big common lands that everybody kind of hung out on and peasants were able to uh, work and, and chill out on and sort of do all kinds of social activities on. And over time they were divvied up in, by what are called enclosures. So people built like these big, uh, you know, fences and um, barriers around them to try to close parts of those common lands off and say, this belongs to, you know, that wealthy person or that uh, royal person or whatever. Um, that's what Marx said they had to do in order to sort of jumpstart or kick off capitalism uh, that is exactly the inversion, um, that Pope Francis is criticizing here, right? That it's a, a seizure of what should be common and, and turned into, uh, private property. So I think in that way, like there are so many ways that as a Marxist, you can at least sort of read what Pope Francis is saying and think, aha, I know exactly where that happens in capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that capitalism relies on this very vice that's being pointed out.
0: Yeah, I think that's good. Um. I think it's also helpful, I mean, to read this as a socialist and to kind of like have that catch that glimpse or whatever is is helpful, too, because um, for as interesting and good as this is, uh, you know, it's still kind of like a vague expression of how you think economics should work and property should work. So you you do need like a, a theory behind it if you actually wanted to sort of practice this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you if you want to listen to what the Pope says here, it's great. But like to actually get it done, I don't know, man, you got to be a socialist. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, Pope Francis does have some advice uh, to that effect later on that we can talk about. Um, but certainly socialism, uh, as always, I think, gives a certain precision to what um, moral uh, imperatives maybe drive us in the direction of. Um, another section just to sort of drive this home and connect this to the fraternity theme is in 124, where Pope Francis says, Nowadays, a firm belief in the common destination of the earth's goods requires that this principle also be applied to nations, their territories, and their resources. Seen from the standpoint not only of the legitimacy of private property and the rights of citizens, but also of the first principle of the common destination of goods, we can then say that each country also belongs to the foreigner, inasmuch as a territory's goods must not be denied to a needy person coming from elsewhere. Uh, This is wild because it is like Mm. intentionally slippery with the concept of property, uh, so much so that, you know, a nation's uh, common property, if it has any, uh, belongs to the entire world. That there's, mm-hmm. um, there's no reason to sort of uh, not let people um, partake of your own bounty or whatever as a, as a nation. And I think, you know, the Pope says open borders in this encyclical, right? It's a, a massive commitment for uh, not only the church to make, but the world to try to make. And by really rooting that uh, principle that it's the common destination of goods that should be overriding every decision we make, by rooting that in something like fraternity, you really see the power of that. I think the the total displacing of private property as a value leads us not only to call into question something like capitalism, but the very ways in which we police our borders or uh, exclude people from them. And I think, you know, it, it just... Uh, It's a suggestive section because it brings up all kinds of other other ways that you might expand this principle to think, well, how else are people being stolen from by virtue of having something withheld from them or called private when it really shouldn't be?
0: Right. It's a good word for sure. When like the United States right now is literally captured a whole bunch of people who, you know, who are who are foreigners who came here and like uh, (laughs) and we didn't do this. Right. It's a good word Mm -hmm. for us. We need to hear this and we need to act on it. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, uh, well, we can get to uh, immigration, which is a massive theme in this as well in a minute. Before we do, though, it might be good to spend a little more time talking about uh, the Pope's critique of capitalism coming off of this property theme. Uh, we mentioned in the beginning that he names neoliberalism specifically as an ideology that's got to go. That's a wild thing to read in here. I guess uh, the Pope's really been you know, reading a lot of David Harvey and Wendy Brown and uh, all these great theorists of neoliberalism and good for him. He, uh, I think there's a lot of places to to pull out here. Before we get to neoliber- neoliberalism specifically, I want to point us to section 25. You know, right off the bat here, where he says war, terrorist attacks, racial or religious persecution, and many other affronts to human dignity are judged differently depending on how convenient it proves for certain primarily economic interests. What is true as long as it is convenient for someone in power stops being true once it becomes inconvenient. These situations of violence, sad to say, have become so common as to constitute a real third world war fought piecemeal. Um, This is a wild uh, paragraph (laughs) for a lot of reasons, but I think the biggest one is that it is a recognition in its own way of class war, but especially international class war, Um, and also the kind of uh, duplicitous logic that you get in capitalism. Right. So, like, I always think of that line in um, the Communist Manifesto where and Engels say you accuse us of wanting to abolish private property, but in effect, private property has already been abolished for nine tenths of the population. Um, it's that kind of, uh, you know, capitalism saying we uh, we deserve the right to be violent through whatever uh, dispossessing you of your land or something. But when you get violent and get upset with us back. Uh, that's not okay that's bad violence or these kinds of things right um what's what's true for someone in power becomes untrue when it's someone who's not in power uh the fact that this sort of all calculates or aggregates up into a third world war fought piecemeal um man i mean a marxist couldn't have said it better right like that is exactly the sort of marxist theory of uh global capitalism
0: yeah exactly i mean it's a it's a powerful rhetoric that does attend to the type of violence that is overlooked um, because it's, uh, you know, invisible because of uh, politics or uh, economics or whatever. It's a really strong way to put it. And uh, Pope Francis is right. <laughs> That's all I've say about that. He is right on that one.
1: You, hear, you, you heard it here first. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say um well matt uh the stuff about neoliberalism is also worth uh pulling out here um anything in the encyclical that really got you going on that front
0: oh boy so much so much stuff going on here (laughs) now some people they like the marketplace they like they think that the market it can solve all of the problems that people have but pope francis is here to tell you that itself the marketplace itself cannot resolve every problem there you go folks Yeah, he goes on to say, however much we are asked to believe in this dogma of neoliberal faith, uh, you know, we can't believe it. Whatever the challenge, this impoverished and repetitive school of thought always offers the same recipes. Neoliberalism simply reproduces itself by resorting to the magic theories of spillover or trickle without using the name as the only solution to societal problems. There is little appreciation of the fact that the alleged spillover does not resolve the inequality that gives rise to new forms of violence threatening the very fabric of society It is imperative to have a proactive economic policy directed at promoting an economy that favors productive diversity and business creativity and makes it possible for jobs to be created and not cut financial speculation fundamentally aimed at quick profit continues to wreak havoc. So let's let's stop there because there's there's more there's more that we can kind of add. But there it is, folks. The marketplace (laughs) cannot solve all these problems. (laughs) Neoliberalism sucks. And actually, it makes more violence. Huh? That whole trickle down thing isn't isn't working for anybody. And Pope Francis is here to tell you he's pissed about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Uh, For people who
1: don't know what neoliberalism is, it's a word that uh, some people think doesn't mean anything. But in fact, does uh, we did an episode with Adam Kotzko a long time ago with, on his book, neoliberalism's demons, which is a fantastic interview. If you want to know more, uh, the book is also extremely good. Um, encourage you to check that out for sure. Uh, Adam Kotzko will convince you that neoliberalism is real and you can understand it. Um, but, uh, to sort of summarize, I mean, the Pope has put it in pretty simple terms, right? That neoliberalism is essentially the, the faith, like a dogmatic faith, that the marketplace can pretty much just sort everything out. And in fact, you should just turn everything else into a marketplace. Uh, everything else should function by a certain market logic, right? You have to have a personal brand. Um, the government should be run like a business. All those kinds of things are part and parcel of neoliberalism uh, an economic ideology that really uh, came into power, especially in the 1980s. Um, I think what's really, what's really intriguing to me about this is It's a surprise in some ways to see a neoliberalism in a papal encyclical, Um, but it seems fitting that it would appear in an encyclical written by a Pope from Latin America. Uh, Neoliberalism is usually associated with like Reagan and Thatcher because they were the, um, the sort of people dismantling what was left of the welfare state in their respective countries and trying to promote a sort of almost libertarian view of economics uh, around the world. But as most historians of neoliberalism say, the real laboratory for neoliberalism happened almost a decade earlier, uh, starting in Chile in particular. So under Pinochet, who you know was the right-wing um, general who overthrew the democratically elected socialist president Salvador Allende, he invited all these neoliberal ec- uh, economists, the Chicago Boys, as they're called, to come to Chile and institute these policies that did uh, a huge number on the Chilean economy and produced all kinds of horrible inequalities there. Uh, so all that to say, it's really quite interesting to see Pope Francis appealing to that, knowing the sort of regional history that he's coming from.
0: Uh, a few minutes ago, uh, I mentioned immigration. Um... And uh, now we can kind of circle back around to that, I guess um, it's one uh, immigration kind of comes out as a theme um, in this section where Pope Francis is also talking about populism and liberalism. And I think it's pretty fascinating. Um, so I guess I'll read a bit here and we can kind of talk through it and uh, see where we go. So in Section 37, uh, we'll start with the populist stuff before we get to. Immigration specifically, but it's all kind of intertwined. Mm -hmm. So uh, Pope Francis says this certain populist political regimes, as well as certain liberal economic approaches, maintain that an influx of migrants is to be prevented at all costs. Arguments are also made for the propriety of limiting aid to poor countries so that they can hit rock bottom and find themselves forced to take austerity measures. Um, This is all part of that, that third, that third world war that's piecemeal happening, right? That these countries have to, um, you know, go through these cycles of violence and then, you know, only have more of that heaped onto them. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. And then he goes on to say this. uh, One fails to realize that behind such statements, abstract and hard to support, great numbers of lives are at stake. Many migrants have fled from war, persecution, and natural catastrophes. Others rightly, are seeking opportunities for themselves and their families. They dream of a better future, and they want to create the conditions for achieving it. So, okay, I mean, do you know let you say something about this in a minute because I'm sure your take is probably more sophisticated than mine is at this point. but uh, but like, I guess what I want to draw out here is that uh, this take on immigration and um and you know, the liberal economic approaches of of neoliberalism and austerity measures, are directly connected to um the whole take on property that we were just talking about and also i mean like deeply deeply integrated to the the larger theme of fraternity right the, a few minutes ago we were just talking about the the ways that property has to be subordinate to the common good and that you know the the, the migrants or the immigrant or the foreigner right that they have they're the people that uh have right to things in our country and, and you know, the property belongs to the, the common good of not just the of the people in, in our country or or any given country, but of the entire world. So I, I guess what's cool is that there's a really consistent ethic that's stacking up here in this piece, um, that uh I think is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm
1: yeah i think that's right um there's so much to be said about the migrant stuff in particular uh there's a lot about i think how pope francis sees migrants uh also being forced to leave because of the fallout of these kinds of projects right like you just said or just read uh the stuff about limiting aid to poor countries so that they can hit rock bottom again you know it's hard not to imagine chile for example right where henry Kissinger had said they want to uh Kissinger and Nixon, one of the two of them, said that they wanted to make the country scream through sanctions. Uh, And of course, you can think of places like Venezuela or many other places, Cuba, etc. today that are still suffering from internationally illegal sanctions. Uh, It's important to sort of recognize that these sanctions force immigration crisis, uh, immigration crises to happen in addition to all this other stuff. And it's important that uh, the Pope connects all that together. Um, there's lots more to say about immigration. You can tell it's a big piece of it. Um, we're kind of running out of time for some other stuff, so I want to move past it. Uh, but I do want to mention one other bit about populism. There's a really cool, uh, distinction in this encyclical between popular and populist. Uh, that is very cool because popular is a word that, um, at least for me, I often associate with, uh, the popular church or the people's church which is a controversial thing in Christian theology, but was especially important in Nicaragua among the Sandinistas and many others. Not saying that's what Pope Francis necessarily has in mind here, but um, it's a a radical tradition within Christianity to, to talk about a popular movement or popular church. And the way that he distinguishes popular from populist here is useful. So he says in section 159, That popular leaders, those capable of interpreting the feelings and cultural dynamics of a people and significant trends in society, do exist. Uh, You know, when I think of that, I think of people like Chavez or, or Evo Morales or something. He goes on to say the service they provide by their efforts to unite and lead can become the basis of an enduring vision of transformation and growth that would also include making room for others in the pursuit of the common good. But this can degenerate into an unhealthy populism when individuals are able to exploit politically a people's culture under whatever ideological banner for their own personal advantage or continuing grip on power, or when at other times they seek popularity by appealing to the basest and most selfish inclinations of certain sectors of the population. Uh, the populist critique here um, is not, I think, necessarily directed uh, completely against Latin American governments or others, although who knows what Pope Francis has in mind. I'm not trying to say that he doesn't care about that or anything. Um, not trying to say that he's better than he is necessarily either. But just to say that uh, if you read the rest of the stuff on populism in here, it is, I think, more clearly directed at a right wing uh, sort of expression, what he calls an authoritarian populism. Um, there've been a lot of people joking about how like section 45, uh, ironically, um, sounds like it's written about Donald Trump specifically. I think that is a coincidence for sure, but it is very funny. Maybe it's a providential coincidence. Um, anyway, all that to say the distinction between popular and populist is a neat way that might even help us on the left, talk more about something like the project of the Bolivarian revolution and the the popular government of Chavez, as opposed to the, the, populist in a pejorative sense government someone like Donald Trump
0: yeah I think that's cool I mean he has a lot of other lines about the the mythic quality of the people which is really neat too Mm -hmm. (laughs) man a lot to talk about but let's uh let's skip ahead a little bit unfortunately uh our podcast has to stay under an hour or or else we uh or else we get in trouble with the Pope (laughs) actually uh okay another theme that emerges um (laughs) that is unsurprising is uh (laughs) COVID-19. <laughs> it's just kind of like, you know, it's not an encyclical about the pandemic or anything, but, uh, you know, w- with such a world historical event, y- you have to expect that it does touch on, t- you know, it touches the encyclical in a few ways. Um, so, yeah, he talks a little bit about the pandemic and, um, you know, if it wasn't COVID-19, it would be a different pandemic, though, because um, they are ev- everywhere. There's pandemics are bad. There are health <laughs> crises in the world. That's all I'm trying to say. God. I got my case, <laughs> listener. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, here's a line from section 35 that he's that he, I think is pretty powerful. Um, and I'll just read it here. So Francis writes all too quickly, however, we forget the lessons of history, the teacher of life. Once this health crisis passes, our worst response would be to plunge even more deeply into feverish consumerism and new forms of egotistic self-preservation. God willing, after all this, we will think no longer in terms of them and those, but only us. If only this may prove not to be just another tragedy of history from which we learn nothing. If only we might keep in mind all those elderly persons who died for lack of respirators, partly as a result of the dismantling year after year of healthcare systems. A nod towards the uh, neoliberal critique we just talked about. If only this immense sorrow may not prove useless, but enable us to take a step forward towards a new style of life. If only we might rediscover once and for all that we need one another and that in this way, our human family can experience a rebirth with all its faces, all its hands, all its voices beyond the walls that we've erected. Okay, so the themes of fraternity are clear here. The Beyond the Borders theme is clear here. Um, You know, his critique of neoliberalism persists in this spot um, that, you know, the the violence um the violence of the system against uh the elderly and the people who are immunocompromised and just you know the other people that get covid nineteen uh that violence is one that is um like we've said in this podcast before not an accident it happened because of the you know the neoliberal plunder of um of healthcare systems in this country and others so um pope francis though in this is sort of like uh Man actually has a pretty profoundly Marxist point that he thinks that maybe dialectically, after this system, the situation that we're in, uh, maybe we'll we'll think you know we'll come out on the other side having a different sort of perspective on life. Uh, unfortunately, I mean in the United States at least, no, probably not. <laughs> but um, but I appreciate the thought. It's a nice one.
1: Yeah. It is. Uh, There's lots more to be said about the pandemic, um, but I'll leave people to read that on their own. Much of it you can sort of expect. Lots of good rhetoric, etc. Tying into systems. Um, Before we get to the criticisms, which is the note that we'll sort of slowly end on, uh, we do have to talk very briefly about how the Pope is too online in this uh, encyclical, or thinks that we're too online is a better way of putting it. Um, There's a lot about digital media in here, which is all very fascinating. I don't know if you're on Twitter a lot, uh, you know, just just take all this to heart for sure. Uh, But uh, the best part, I think, is in Section 50, Where Pope Francis says, wisdom is not born of quick searches on the internet, nor is it a mass of unverified data. That is not the way to mature in the encounter with truth. Conversations revolve only around the latest data. They become merely horizontal and cumulative. We fail to keep our attention focused, to penetrate to the heart of the matters, and to recognize what is essential to give meaning to our lives. Freedom thus becomes an illusion that we are peddled, Easily confused with the ability to navigate the internet. Boy, he's been reading my Facebook uh, timeline for sure. The (laughs) process of building fraternity, be it local or universal, can only be undertaken by spirits that are free and open to authentic encounters. Um, This further kind of uh, substantiates the claim that I keep making, that uh, Pope Francis is the Virilio Pope. Um, If you know who Paul Virilio is, a person we talk about on here every once in a while, uh, thinker critical of technology, um, but man, Pope Francis is really sort of channeling, channeling, channeling that Catholic uh, energy here in his critique of internet culture.
0: Yeah, I actually like a lot of the things he has to say about, uh, about online, about Twitter. I mean, he's <laughs> never talking about Twitter, but he is talking about Twitter. Um, yeah, I like a lot of it. I think it's, um, uh, some pretty sound advice <laughs> about, um, the ways that, um, you know, massively networked digital media has hampered our ability to uh, understand people and understand uh, wisdom and information, mm-hmm. distinguishing those two things. Uh, I like it a lot. Some of it comes off a little bit too much. Uh, back in the old days, we talked <laughs> to one another, and, and that's fine. Back in the old days, I'm sure some people did do that. I mean, just like some people do that now. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think it's like generally uh, pretty good stuff. There's also some nods toward propaganda and fake news, which is kind of interesting to hear and think about the Pope, thinking about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I think it's just interesting anytime you can hear someone like Pope Francis or just the Pope in general talk about like technology and communications.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: you know, the Catholic Church is a medieval institution, right? Like, <laughs> and, and to hear that take, uh, you know, through that to hear that take on on technology is, is an interesting one mm-hmm. um i think that uh it's a little bit like too simplistic for sure i mean um i i agree like uh fake news and propaganda is bad but like i don't know what are you going to do about it um <laughs> <laughs> if you i mean like if uh if private property is immovable then i don't know how you're gonna you're gonna deal with uh with mass media but here mm-hmm. you go yeah um Anyways, in the end, he talks a lot about dialogue and just how important it is to, like, be open to talking with other people and uh, and, you know, and not just open to talking with them in the way that uh, you want to prove yourself right and them wrong, but to really listen to people. And uh, that's a good idea. Do that. (laughs) Do that. But make sure that your conversation partner is also doing that or else don't talk to them. (laughs)
1: Yeah, um, that's right. I mean, dialogue is Pope Francis's favorite theme, I think, and certainly makes a lot of sense in the the big echo chamber of the Internet uh, that everybody's always complaining about rightly. Um, Well, we're probably going to go a little bit over an hour, but I think that that's fine. Uh, We should move, though, to some criticisms of the document. So, look, uh, we've said a lot of good things about it, and it's a good document. Um, you pretty much have to be a socialist if you want to deal with it. That's still my, my hot take. Um, there's not only really a lot of points of contact, but also I don't know how you would um, pay attention to this and still be a capitalist at the end, uh, and I will not wish you luck as you try. However, um, good criticisms have been made. Uh, we mentioned earlier there's a kind of problematic universality here. Uh, there was a, a controversy leading up to the publication of this before it even came out that already gets us on the path to thinking this through. And that is on the title itself for telly for Tele2D, which translates to uh, all our brothers. Um, a lot of people had said, well, this is already exclusionary language. It's not gender inclusive. Um, and some people were saying, oh, you know, you're just uh, whatever being you're just complaining Uh, Other people have said, no, this reflects what is obviously a patriarchal institution, which is undeniably true. (laughs) There's no women in seats of power in the Catholic Church. Uh, Surprise. Mm -hmm. And uh, that sort of latter concern, I think, has turned out to be accurate. Uh, Lots of people have pointed out that although there is content about women in here, uh, there's not a lot of, uh, well, there's not any real appeal to women. And this is really powerfully expressed by Megan Clark at the uh, National Catholic Reporter. She says this in a, an article um, on it. She says, our responsibilities are not bound by borders, but our common humanity and repeatedly the encyclical calls for listening at the margins, etc. Yet amid this, women are largely absent. The lack of full human rights for women is mentioned three times, and women as victims of violence twice, but despite a real emphasis on inclusive humanity within the text, no women are cited as inspiration, used for theological reflection or given as examples. At the very end, despite the Pope saying he's inspired by brothers and sisters, it's only three men Francis lists, Martin Luther King Jr., Desmond Tutu, and Mahatma Gandhi. This is particularly striking because much of the local community building work called for by this encyclical is practiced and embodied by women, especially within the context of migration and post-conflict reconciliation. And she concludes saying, With this third encyclical, Francis has given us much wisdom, yet while recognizing the organization of societies worldwide is still far from reflecting clearly that women possess the same dignity and identical rights as men, we say one thing with words, but our decisions in reality tell another story. Uh, she's quoting him there and then she adds the lens still doesn't quite get applied to the church itself um i think that's a massively important thing to keep in mind here um all might be family but uh just like any other family that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's equal
0: yeah i think that's really good um olga saguara someone that was on the podcast a few weeks back when we talked about black lives matter in the catholic church um you know, something she said in that episode was make sure that you call out the hierarchy when they do something that isn't great, and uh, she stuck to her that and, and did just mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, over the weekend on Twitter, uh, Olga said on Twitter that uh, she says, Wish Pope Francis' anti racist rhetoric was as strong as his criticisms of capitalism because open wider hearts ain't it. I think that's really good i mean it's true like it's uh racism isn't isn't directly attended to in this encyclical uh, either and uh that is a huge problem um so i think that uh listening to these criticisms is really important um i mean this kind of all goes back to something that Amaria armstrong talked about on our podcast you know so long ago now um mm-hmm. but when the christian universality has a problem um in that it tries to be universal but there's usually a leftover and the leftover is usually women and people of color. Um And I mean, I don't know, as good as as good as this is, as much as I like this whole big encyclical, I like I had a good time reading it. And I think that there are some really um, great points in it. I think that these criticisms about universality and like who gets left out or whose voices aren't heard or don't come through as clearly as they should are really important. So mm-hmm. um the whole it's it's great. It's a good encyclical that's challenging, I think interesting, but um it does inevitably fall short because it lacks these uh it lacks all of these voices that are necessary.
1: Yeah, and just to stay on that, uh a Mario Train for a minute, which is always a good one to be on, uh not only do does that universal universality have a, a remainder or a leftover, um, it sort of gets its power from that very exclusion, like it's right. based on it. Um, which Olga Segura also points out a little further saying, um, you can't be critical of capitalism and the ways it consistently devastates human dignity without explicitly talking about the ways it is currently killing black and brown people during a global pandemic. Um, and she says, open wide, our hearts did not suffice in 2018. It definitely does not in 2020. That's a reference to, to the, uh, us Catholic bishops, um, statement on racism. Uh, So, again, it's like it's important to recognize that if you're going to call out global capitalism, um, you also have to call out racial capitalism, as so many good people in the black radical tradition tell us. Right. Uh, um, Cedric Robinson, um, who we talked to Amari about a little while ago, Ruth Wilson Gilmore, Robin D.G. Kelly, all these other scholars that have uh, emerged to really make that clear. Um, and I know someone's got a we got we got uh, all these critics of neoliberalism in the hands of Pope Francis. That's great. Now we got to get him in touch with uh, the black radical tradition and we'll be all set.
0: (laughs) That sounds good. Um. Cool. Well, Dean, uh, as encyclicals go, uh, how do you rate this one?
1: (laughs) As encyclicals go, this one is going to get 10 big miters out of 10 for me. Um, sorry, wait, in, in light of the, the criticisms we just made, I'm going to have to give it, I'm going to give it a a seven big miters out of 10 possible big miters. Um, I would love to give it a 10 out of 10, maybe the next one, maybe his fourth encyclical. Uh, he'll finally (laughs) learn every lesson that he should possibly learn. Um, not holding my breath, but seven out of 10 is pretty good. The rest of the encyclicals I've read usually hover around five or six. So congrats to Pope Francis on this one. Uh, (laughs) how about you, Matt?
0: Yeah, um, I'm with you seven out of ten is good is good for me. Um, It could be it could be better. There's room for improvement. You know, (laughs) I think, though, this is probably the last one. (laughs) You know, if this is uh, here's the thing. Uh, Pope Francis is writing his encyclicals in the in the um, the classic trilogy format. uh, You know, the Back to the Future one, two and (laughs) three. And he, the, the big mistake that he did make is that he he should have wrote it in the um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy format where <laughs> it's uh, one, two and then three, part one and then three, part two, where you can really uh, you can really blow up the fan service in the last one. Yeah, so, to be
1: fair, though, the first encyclical he did was actually Pope Benedict's encyclical that he just sort of finished at the end. So I think oh. we could we could at least get one very good one out of him still.
0: Okay, here's hoping. Here's hoping for (laughs) one more encyclical that has two parts, I think. That's right. Uh,
1: Let me tie one last thread together, and then we can maybe leave on this note. Uh, So I said at the beginning that, and I've said throughout, that you can't be faithful to this document without being an international socialist. Um, I want to say that that's a theme that people on the left, both Christians and non-Christians, should really be thinking and organizing around um we should be thinking around it insofar as we're trying to make uh sense of how the the kind of moral ambitions that pope francis is putting out into the world uh should lead us in directions that i think kind of naturally end in something like socialism um you know maybe not marxist leninism maybe some other kind of socialism but socialism nevertheless and we should be thinking about what that means um from the other side though organizing around it uh there's been lots of organizing around Laudato Si. I mean, it has led to real Catholic uh, climate change movements and that's fantastic. Um, This document, the only way I can see it emerging in the world is by being instantiated in real on the ground uh, popular movements as Pope Francis calls for them. And as far as I'm concerned, those popular movements also have to sort of move in a socialist direction, not just because we like socialism on this podcast, but because uh, the very things that Pope Francis calls our attention to don't seem to be able to be resolved within the contradictory form of capitalism. So all that to say, with all its faults that are real and all its problems that we have to attend to, um, it presents us with a real basis for uh, building the the complex, multitudinous um, power that we need to actually defeat something like global capitalism.
0: Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Magnificast. Our intro music is by Amari Armstrong. Our outro music is by The Logical Spoon. Um, Oh, hey, if you uh, if you support us on Patreon, I forgot about this part. This is so important. I need to go back. No big deal. (laughs) If you support us on Patreon at the $10 or $11 level, uh, you get a cool sticker uh, uh, made made for us, especially by Ryan Cagle, and it's uh, dope as hell. So go and get it. Give us ten dollars, and after three months, you can get it. It's not a great system that Patreon has for giving people stickers, but it's the one that we have. So, um, <laughs> so there you go. Anyways, we'll see you next week on the Cast for um, for more of this good Socialist Christian content. I don't want to
1: get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation, never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no damn between us and our Lord. Jackson, you keep your hoods up, you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, you keep your hoods up, well, you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now it's still